I'm your host, Aaron Groves, and welcome to the Pop Podcast. What is up, guys? Welcome back to the Pop Podcast and happy new year. I am actually recording this intro on January 1st. I hope everyone had a very safe and exciting New Year's Eve. I know there's always a lot of opinions on New Year's Eve. I think it can be overhyped, but it's also just an opportunity for me to dress up and have fun with my friends. So I hope everyone is gearing up for the new year. And I brought back on Whitney Stewart on the podcast because you all loved her episode. It did well, not just in numbers, but feedback from people out there on social media and my friends and just the community that we have on this podcast. And I really wanted to take a deeper dive into a few topics, especially with it being the new year. I thought, let's get someone who not only has the experience, but has a really good and healthy mindset around diet. And I think we come into the new year, people are quick to make resolutions that are easy for them to fall off of, whether it's super restricting or I'm going to work out every single day. And that was one of the main themes. So there's three main themes of this episode. The first is New Year's resolution and how you can make it so that it is something that lasts and is a lifestyle change and is something that you're adding into your life rather than subtracting. I'm huge on adding things in instead of thinking about it as a negative, I can't eat this, why don't we think about it as let's add more fruits and vegetables into our diet to make us overall healthier. So that is who is on the podcast. If you did not listen to her part one, her name is Whitney Stewart. She is a registered dietitian. Her Instagram is at Witness Nutrition. She is amazing. I'll put all of it in the show notes. Um, but kind of like I mentioned, kind of like I mentioned, the first thing that we talk about is New Year's resolutions. We dive into gut health all of the things you need to know about gut health, why it's important, why it affects your mood, why it really is the gateway um, for everything within your body. And then the last thing is women's hormone health. This is something that a lot of you asked a ton of questions on. So we dive super deep into bouncing at your hormones, um, how you can tune into what works for you because you are a female and not looking at it in a negative light. So that is today's episode. Whitney is amazing as always. I feel like our conversations flow so authentically and so smoothly. So I hope you all enjoy it. And again, happy new year. I love kombucha. I do feel like there's some that adds in a lot of extra Mm -hmm. nonsense into it, which I'm starting to learn. Yeah. But I feel like a very pure kombucha has a very settling feeling when I drink it. I don't think that the like research currently shows that the benefit of kombucha really isn't there. Like you're not really getting enough of the bacterial strain for it to matter. But from my point of view of like optimizing diet, if a patient is drinking soda or beer Mm -hmm. or wine chronically and is looking for something that has less calories, that's slightly better for their blood sugar, that's not as inflammatory, why not? Yeah. No. I mean, it's a perfect gateway. Look at that intro, Erin. Right into gut health. That was what I had originally thought to be true was things Mm -hmm. along like kombucha, more fermented foods were good for your health. And that's where I wanted to start this conversation today because I'm very passionate about gut health and I know it stems into just about everything else in your life. So I'm going to turn it over to you. What do you feel is the most important thing for people to understand at a high level in terms of gut health? Yeah. So when I was looking over the questions, the one thing that stood out to me was like, why is gut health so important and why does it affect your whole body? And my goal is to always assess somebody's whole body health. And so when you think that the gut is almost the entrance to your body, right? Mm -hmm. It comes in and whatever your body takes from that experience of whatever you ate is the foundation for what you have to work with. And so how you eat and how stressed you are when you eat, how digestion goes, how absorption happens, um, how slow you eat or how forcefully you push food down, 
um, the diversity in your diet. There are so many things that affect your gut microbiome that then lead to the foundation of did I absorb enough minerals, mm. nutrients, calories, um, macronutrients, just from an overall standpoint that builds the rest of your health. And so I think that we've started to realize like, wow, we really do need to focus on that entrance to our body mm-hmm. because it's where everything starts. The funniest thing about this whole is I never would ever think about how I was eating food. Yeah. How do you guide your patients to consume their meals in a way that optimizes not only like their digestion and gut health, but it's absorption of food and making sure that you feel full. Yeah. Yeah. So this is something that I really struggled with because I was like busybody type A, doing all the things, working, and constantly felt like I was doing like smoothies or meals on the go or like meals in my car, like meals anywhere but the table. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, Definitely not with my butt in my seat, like definitely on the move somewhere. And we know that the body does best when it's in like a rest state because rest and digest go together. And so we call this meal hygiene. Um, And you can really improve your digestion, not just with what you're eating, but Mm -hmm. how you eat. And so if you look at normal meals right now, people spend anywhere from like five to seven minutes eating. Mm -hmm. And I even timed myself the other day, like relaxing on my porch eating. It took me 13 minutes. And the goal, optimal goal is like at least 20 minutes for a meal. And if you time yourself, you'll be astounded by how quickly you eat. Oh, I'm like two minutes. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, there's no way it's 20. Yeah. So one thing to think about is, am I going, in my, going into my meal too hungry that I can't eat that slowly? And so sometimes mm. people's hunger scales, they push it too far where they come into the meal raging with hunger and so that they can't slow down and eat. And so that affects everything. And then thinking about like, am I in a rested state when I eat? So am I in front of the TV and I'm watching the news, which is stressful, which doesn't put me into a rested state? Or am I scrolling on my phone? Am I in kind of this comparison trap? Or am I like with company and eating? Mm -hmm. Um, Most of my patients do better on vacation when they eat. And half of that is because like they're with their people that they love and they Mm -hmm. take three hours for dinner and they eat slowly and they savor it. So many of those things are meal hygiene based. It's so interesting, and I think it's so simple. Yeah, yeah. It's such an easy fix, Mm -hmm. and I know we talked about this on our first episode, but, like, the importance of, like, kind of having that dinner, like, that nightly dinner, and, like, the time set aside and the family dynamic, and you saw how much that impacted young kids and just creating structure, and my parents always tell me to slow down, and it's ironic, but now it's, like, they weren't just telling me to slow down. For the sake of it, there was mm-hmm. a why behind yeah. slowing down. Yeah. And I think most of us as Americans don't take the time to slow down mm. to savor our meals unless we're vacationing, right? Unless we're resting. Yeah. We don't allow for daily rest and the body really for digestion does best in a rested state. In terms of your overall gut, mm-hmm. why does it impact all other areas of your body? And why do you think people don't understand the importance of treating your gut Mm -hmm. in the right way? So I think kind of like I mentioned, like this is like the opening pathway Mm -hmm. to the rest of your body. So being able to digest and absorb food is going to lead to you not having micro and macronutrient deficiencies, which then allows your body to have enough energy and calories to perform daily tasks and have balanced blood sugar and all these wonderful things. But I also think that our culture has such a focus on aesthetic instantaneous outcomes Mm. that we don't really internalize. Like or think of the internal aesthetics of our body because we are so concerned about the external aesthetics And so I sat in this for a long time. Most of my um, internship clients were focused on weight loss and they would tell me they literally do not care what it takes to get 
X weight or X, Y, Z. It was all about aesthetics, right? And so we have a diet culture that thrives off of that, you know, like eat cotton, don't eat, eat wind, whatever it is, right? There's no focus on internal health. And so I think depending on what life phase you're in or what toxic environment you're in, sometimes it's hard to step back and say, I care just as much about my external aesthetics as I do my internal because that's a pretty hard sell within mm-hmm. an American culture that doesn't preach that. For me, it was just lack of knowledge. If you want me yeah. to be honest, I had no idea. No one teaches you about gut health. No, even for me. Even to the point of like as a child, like yeah, no, no one says like, you should be having daily bowel movements because that's the easiest way to detox your body. Like that's not taught like in preschool. It could be. Yeah. Right. But that's not something we think detox and we think like, you know, gut cleanse, mm-hmm. lemon juice 12 times a day with cayenne pepper, like all these things. But really, like just having normal bowel movements is what detoxes our yeah. body. But we're not taught like those basic skills. So it would be normal to be confused. And just not understanding the importance of the gut on the overall body. It wasn't until I took a deep dive and became obsessed with my health and what I put into my body that it uncovered all of these things that I had no idea, especially, and this is one thing that I have always been curious about is I think everyone can, we put antibiotics and we, we give out medicine like it's candy. And a lot of people like myself were given a lot of antibiotics as kids. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we realize the damage that that does long term Mm -hmm. for gut health. From your perspective, how do you guide people out of maybe not being in the best gut health because of antibiotics and different medicines that they were on either as a child or where they're at now? Yeah. So there's a few things. Um, Overarching, when someone comes in and says that they have a long history of antibiotic use, um, we want to look at their lack of gut diversity because we know that antibiotics are not specific in what they're targeting. And mm-hmm. so they are clearing out everything, yeah. which is really wonderful for so many reasons, but not how we necessarily use them chronically. Mm-hmm. Um, in or overuse of like when you have something that's antiviral, but you're given an antibiotic, et cetera. Um, And then I personally use um, stool testing for gut testing. That's the gold Mm. standard to check and see. Um, I actually had a patient today who is really thriving overall, but wanted to take a proactive look and all of her good gut bacteria is low. And so what that tells us is, hey, like let's take a really proactive look at increasing the diversity in your gut so that these bacterial strains can regrow because they're protecting Mm -hmm. you from the bad ones overgrowing, which leads to us not having an issue with these more um, inflammatory strains that then cause issues or H. pylori that forms or viruses or parasites or microbes that come along because it's an empty playing field. So when we don't have any good gut bacteria there protecting us, mm-hmm. you know, things go rampant. And that's what we see with antibiotic use. In terms of, I'm going to use that as a, like, be specific about the things that you were telling her to incorporate in her diet to increase the overall good mm-hmm. bacteria that she has in her gut. Yeah. So What's interesting about this testing and that I want to point out is that probiotics are strain specific. And so if you, so she has specific strains of gut bacteria that we say like eating this food or supplementing this will directly affect this bacterial strain. Got it. So overall, there are some specific um, needs involved with your gut microbiome because Mm -hmm. it's so unique. But in general, increasing um, gut diversity and specifically in plant-based foods. And so different types of fibers in your diet. So I ask my patients to eat um, colorful veggies. We talked about this last time, like all my patients eat lots of veggies and lots of colors. We aim for 30 different plant foods per week. So that includes Fruits, veggies, nuts, seeds, herbs, and spices can all kind of count into that category. Okay. So that helps different fibers, which feed that bacteria. Mm-hmm. And then we look at prebiotic foods because prebiotics are really not as utilized in an American diet anymore. And so 
um, artichokes and onions and garlic and leeks and like really ripe bananas and some of the foods that have prebiotics that we just don't eat on a regular basis mm-hmm. help to improve that too. Do you feel that someone can optimize their gut health to the highest potential for themselves individually through food alone? Or do you feel that they need to add supplements in there? It depends on what they're dealing with. Okay. So if you are just working on proactive improvements in your gut health, absolutely. Um, The big ones, I was just talking with a clinician, prebiotic, probiotic, and polyphenols. So foods that have those things are the most protective for your health. And polyphenols is not just red wine. <laughs> Everybody thinks they hear that word. Like, okay, <laughs> a bottle of wine. That's what I'm having tonight. Um, but those things are really good for proactive. But if you come in and you have a case of H. pylori or you have a case of a parasite or a virus yeah. or a microbe that is overgrown, oftentimes we're using antimicrobials and specific supplementation to kill that off while mm-hmm. also optimizing your good. So yes, you can always optimize your good, but if there's rampant bad, we also have to deal with that problem too. Is that most often caused by some sort of sickness when you get into those negatives or is it more of a lack of nutrients that that individual is consuming? It can be both. I okay. have a patient who traveled a lot for work and was a consultant and I would say that Probably lack of stress management and lack Mm -hmm. of good digestion, so lack of good meal hygiene, but then also like contaminated food, maybe contaminated water, Mm -hmm. um, just didn't have enough of the good stuff to protect her and just got into a situation, right place, right time to have like a pretty nasty parasite. Um, But I have patients who have H. pylori, and that's really from just not having enough of the good things and not working on good meal hygiene that leads to your body being able to do enough digestion because you're not supporting your good acid reflux, which breaks down food. And that leads to like this cycle of then having um, hypochloridia and not being able to digest what needs to be digested. Mm -hmm. And then that backs up and causes. What are some immediate signs or symptoms that people experience, whether externally in their skin, when their gut microbiome is off? I would say um, bloating is the first one Mm -hmm. that we usually see Um, or just feeling like you're having, you're not having regular bowel movements or they're erratic, like a lot one day, none the next um, can be a big one. So those are the two big symptoms we see that stick out. So we'd start big and focus on the foundations, Mm -hmm. focus on meal hygiene, Everybody needs a squatty potty. Everybody should be sitting in the right position when they are having their bowel movements. What's a squatty potty? Like for little kids? Um, you could say they're for little kids. My mom thinks they're for little kids. She ignores me when I tell her to get one. But um, it raises your feet slightly so that your knees are higher than your hips, which puts you into optimal position for bowel movements so that there's less strain. Um, and it just helps for overall gut motility. Wow. I have never heard this before. Aaron's going to yeah, we what? Like, I wish like I had a, a coding school. I wish I was sponsored, but I'm not. <laughs> We're gonna get you sponsored after this episode. <laughs> Whitney twenty for twenty percent off. <laughs> wow, I never knew that. Yeah, yeah. So it just changes um, positioning, mm-hmm. similar to like we think like women are supposed to like birth on their backs. It's the same thing. Like we're okay. supposed to sit in a different position than what we think um, with our knees above our hips. That's my biggest takeaway. This episode is over. I'm just kidding. Uh, And you kind of just mentioned stress, which we all deal with stress in different ways. But what's the direct effect that stress has on gut health? So you want to think that if your body is stressed and focused on something else, it can't focus on digesting your food. So a lot of people who have stress have very low stomach acid or they have um, stools that they're seeing like aren't digested. There's undigested food, which is causing like loose stools and it's this vicious cycle. So really getting to a place where you can eat peacefully Mm -hmm. matters. And I think that that's twofold because I think that there's this like clash of diet culture too, where people feel like they're stressed by the food they're eating because they feel like 
it's wrong or mm. it's bad or it's not enough or they feel like if I eat this, it's going to make me fat or if I eat this, it's not helping me get to my goals mm-hmm. and there's so much um, noise around what to eat that sometimes yeah. just being a woman in America can be hard to decide, I'm going to eat this and feel confident about my meal. Yeah. And so then it just makes it hard to enjoy that meal in the first place. And that's added stress into your body. Yeah. So it's like, okay, I'm going to eat this peacefully. I'm going to be confident Mm -hmm. with the food that I'm eating. Um, And we know that lots of different factors play into like the health of a food, but really your emotional health at a meal Mm -hmm. is the first step. Yeah. We'll kind of touch on that uh, when we pivot. I have one last kind of question on this gut health before we pivot into more women's health. We're just going to spend a chunk of time there. Caffeine. Yeah. It's not a meal. It's not a meal, but what's the effect on gut health? I feel like having coffee, and I know this is not recommended, but I used to have coffee all the time on an empty stomach. And Mm -hmm. I don't think it not only messed up my gut health, I think it messed up my entire appetite and the way I consume food throughout the entire day. Mm -hmm. And I am shocked at the results of not having coffee. Yeah. And especially in the morning. Yeah. So... A lot of my patients, when we decrease caffeine, they finally learn how to address hunger from what hunger really is Mm -hmm. because we know that caffeine cuts your appetite. And so it makes it very hard to know, like, am I hungry? Am I full when there's caffeine on board? But the other thing is that we know that caffeine's a stimulant. So it's moving things through your gut. So Mm -hmm. if you're having a hard time, with gut regularity and you're just throwing caffeine through your body, like the quickest way to move things along is to throw espresso on top. And so when we cut that down, we see that there's just more time that the body has to really digest Mm -hmm. and move. Um, I think a really nice approach is having breakfast and then even giving yourself like a half an hour or an hour window before you have coffee and the difference you'll notice oh my gosh. is insane. Like maybe that meal actually doesn't cause you to run to the bathroom. Maybe it was the caffeine. Mm-hmm. And so taking that and knowing that caffeine is also kind of that stressor. Yeah. And if your body is looking to eat in a rested state to be optimal with its digestion, caffeine's not going to help that. And I love coffee. And so I'm always trying to biohack, like, how can I have this in a healthy way? Same. But my, my new thing is like, okay, I'm going to eat breakfast. I'm going to go on a walk. And then like after a few of my patients, if I have a break, I might go grab my favorite ice boss with almond milk at LDU. Please sponsor me. Um, with my okay. midday break. Yeah. But it doesn't hurt my stomach because I have food in my stomach. It doesn't cause me to kind of like that wake and shake effect mm. because I have food in my belly. And yeah. it's not causing as much of a blood sugar spike because I'm not just running off of that alone. I started having like a half of a banana and peanut butter. Mm-hmm. And then either like I would go work out and then I'd come back and have a smoothie. And when I would have that smoothie, if I wanted a cup of coffee that day, I would have it. And I noticed a lot of those same effects. For me, it was more of like that anxious feeling, but I just mm-hmm. felt like people were like, your skin is clearing up. I'm like, I think it's because my gut isn't so chaotic like I just don't think that coffee was for me well and you're probably having like less of a cortisol spike because like Mm -hmm. in the morning if you're working out working out is a stressor and there's nothing wrong with stressing the body but like over stressing the body can be an issue and so if you're doing all the things in the morning like I used to do 6 a.m hit class and I drink 16 ounces of coffee on the way and like listen to like Drake at like the top of like (laughs) my volume in my car this used to be me why am I stressed? Hmm, I wonder, right? Like yeah. habit stacking, all the stressful things. Um, so pulling those out, right, mm-hmm. and not doing so much at one time is probably helping too. Yeah. What's the biggest challenge that you think our world faces when it comes to the knowledge and the consumption about gut health as a whole? I think we hit on it a little bit. I think early education mm-hmm. is a beautiful time to teach children about like basic things, right? Like let's sit and eat our meal. Like we're going to be here for 20 minutes, like even at lunchtime or, you know, breakfast, like with younger kids, like there's no 
time. Like there's no talk about the importance of that. And I think that that is such a golden opportunity. Like we put emphasis on the importance of language immersion and Mm -hmm. culture and all these things. But like, why don't we take the opportunity to educate this early on to help, Mm -hmm. you know, even young women, like if you're having cramps, here's five things that you could do to minimize them. Um, That's not just like chronic intake of mydol. Like did yeah and so i think that there's all these like little holistic lifestyle recommendations that could be inputted if we were to increase that into early education and it's so preventative and i think that's what a lot of our sis we're very reactive here's this here's mital here's this and it's putting a band-aid on a problem that i think if we started already exists yeah If we started at the root at an earlier age, I think we would start to see things trickle because you would just know. Like Mm -hmm. I knew if I was taught that, I mean, obviously once you get older, you can make the choice, but I just feel like there's so much that we just aren't aware of as young kids. And then we get older and we hear it and it's like, well, that's gone against everything that I've ever learned instead of it being something that's ingrained in you at such a young age. Yeah. I was having this conversation with my family because we're doing like a home water birth and Mm -hmm. my mom's like, everything is very different now. Like I need education. And I reminded her like, of course you do, because nobody ever talks about this. Like Mm. you were never told this, you were never taught this. And I think there's a lot of guilt and shame from parents because they just don't feel supported and equipped to educate their children. But if we were more proactive with our society, we could start that early on. Yeah. So kids were like, oh, well, I ate protein for breakfast because I know it keeps me full, right? Like basic things that I do with my patients now and their families because we know it's really helpful if kids have those talk tracks early. And understanding what works for you based off of your natural composition. And I don't think, I touched on this a little bit in a different episode, but like the masculine versus the feminine and as females, we just naturally have to do things differently. And I resisted mm-hmm. this for- We're not little men. That's like Stacey Sims. Like yeah. women, women are not little men. Mm-mm. Never have been. And I resisted it for so long because I've always been into sports and like- Same. Was just- Like vi- you can run a six minute mile. So can I. Yeah. Or yeah. you can get up and do these workout classes and do so this. So can I. Yep. And it doesn't affect your home run health. And- I am on the receiving end, I think, of a lot of, I think cortisol was, I mean, I was under a lot of stress, but I don't think I realized the impact until I kind of got onto the other side of it. So for women out there listening, Mm -hmm. what's the most important thing that you want to communicate to them about their overall hormone health from a proactive lens? And we'll go deeper from there. So one thing to know is that the female body is more sensitive to stress than you think Mm -hmm. and that stressors are not just the emotional ones that you feel. So anytime you decide to restrict caloric intake or severely cut down on your fat intake or increase your HIIT workouts to four times a week or decide to sleep less and move more or decide that one or two extra mimosas on the weekends is helpful, that all of those things work against Mm -hmm. your hormone health. And I think it took me a long time kind of with that acceptance of like men thrive under stress, right? Like their body loses fat with in stressful situations. (gasps) And instead of like that, being something that drove me crazy, I just decided like it was okay that I was different and that Mm -hmm. my nutrition prescription was different and that that was okay instead of trying to just be a little man. Can't fight against nature. That's kind of where I got was there's nothing I literally can do and I'm just working against myself at this point. What are some common signs of a female's hormones being out of balance. Yeah. So if you're not having regular monthly cycles and you're having really strong PMS symptoms, those are like top, top triggers. Um, And then your sleep cycle. So if you're having poor sleep, you can't sleep at night, you're waking up throughout the night, um, that as well is a really strong sign um, of hormone imbalance. Like the big ones, yes, like excessive hair on your 
face and a lot of mm-hmm. those androgen related ones are common or changes in acne and mood. Um, but those are patients that we say like, it's time to get off of hormonal birth control. It's time to do hormonal testing. Let's do it right. Let's do a urine Dutch test. Let's not do blood tests. Let's make sure we're looking at accurate numbers and let's get the answers that we need. This might be pre, but I'm going to, this might be a little <laughs> ambitious of me to ask this, but what are I know you're not an OBGYN, but I'm not. What are the best alternatives to hormonal birth control? Because this did not resonate with me. It made me crazy (laughs) Um, to keep your hormones in check. Yeah. So I am not an OB, um, but my patients call me the baby whisperer. So maybe I'm not the best person to ask. (laughs) But um, for I have a lot of patients who come to me who are like, I want to try to conceive within the next year. I want to get healthy. How do I do that? So we get off hormonal birth control um, and they use um, cycle tracking. So okay. they use either like a needle or natural cycles. Mm-hmm. And the one thing to know is that it takes a while. Like you yeah. can't expect a body that has been given synthetic hormones for 30 years to suddenly just have regular cycles again. Mm-hmm. Um, but for like, yes, condoms is really nice depending on if depending on what kind of situation you're in, in terms (laughs) of your relationship. I had a patient who I very much valued. She was like, that doesn't work for me. I'm like very spontaneous. We're not going to have that conversation. So now there's something like Fexi, which is really nice. It's like day of essentially like spermicide lasts for, I think, 48 hours. You'll have to ask Roxanne Perro about that because she's a no B. But um, spermicide, you can use day of. It's like a tampon. Put it in there. You're set to go. And then you don't. It's when you need it, not all the time, because yeah. most OBs will tell you your window of conception is actually like six hours when you're yeah. actually ovulating, right? So there's not that much time. You don't need to be birth controlled all the time mm-hmm. unless you're doing it all the time. Yeah, which that's a conversation <laughs> for a different day. <laughs> Jeez Louise, people, <laughs> calm it down if that's you. I'm just kidding. Uh, what are some tips that uh, females can add into their daily life to help balance out their hormones naturally? Good question. So the first one is eating enough fat. Mm. Um, if you are not eating, I would say like a good guideline is like 45 to 50 grams of fat. I don't expect people to like count their macros, but yeah. even for a day checking in to see like, am I meeting the basic guidelines? Um, this stuck out to me because I went to school during like a low fat time mm-hmm. and used low fat mayo and didn't eat bars that had fat in them, didn't eat nuts, like was very fat averse, um, PB2 versus peanut butter, all the things. Yeah. And I was eating probably like 15 grams of fat per day, which is very little mm-hmm. and had horrible cycles, horrible acne, really bad PMS. I was like, oh. My hormones are not getting what they need to literally create good, healthy cells. So adequate fat intake. And then I know one of your questions was about seed cycling. Um, I love the use of seeds and I have seen like miraculous results with my patients who seed cycle. What seed cycle? For those that don't know. Yeah. So you um, are consuming two tablespoons of a specific mix of seeds during one half of your cycle and then you're switching to another mix of other seeds during the other half to support the different hormones during different parts of your cycle that then help with hormonal imbalances but what's nice for me is that you get a daily intake of heart healthy fats that you probably weren't taking anyways you get an increase in fiber which helps with gut motility you get an increase of vitamin e which you probably weren't taking in and you get seeds that like you wouldn't just like crunch on throughout the day. Give examples of the type of seeds and where can, like yes. I'm going to go buy these now. Yeah. So um, there's a company called Funkit Wellness, okay. F-U-N-K, who's made by a dietitian. Her content is very snarky and I love it. It's all about women's health and fertility okay. and hormones. And then the other one is Bia Wellness, B-E-Y-A. Okay. Both of them make it super easy on you. You order like phase one and phase two. And it tells Mm -hmm. you when to switch. You use two tablespoons a day, throw it into your oatmeal or your smoothies. It gives you more blood sugar balance that way too. And it helps with hormones. A lot of my patients notice it cuts down on their PMS symptoms. I've had a lot of patients just like naturally have improved hormone balance. And so they're not having some of that 
sign of excess estrogen, like some of their acne symptoms, just from incorporating it. I was really... Wow. I am always like a little cautionary around like fads when they come out. Mm -hmm. And then looking at the science and then seeing it implemented in practice, I was like, this is really great. And it's something that you add and not subtract. Exactly. So I love that part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, They don't taste too bad. One phase tastes better than the other because it's like pumpkin, flax, sunflower seed. And then one has like sesame. So it switches halfway through. Yeah. So. I love a chia seed. I love a flax seed. I love pumpkin seeds and like salads. Yeah. So you can make a DIY mix. Like Minimalist Baker has it listed how to DIY it. You can make them into energy bites. Ooh. Lots of ways to do it. Yeah. But seed cycling is a huge part of cycle syncing. I was going to say that's where I was going next. Yeah. Yeah. So cycle syncing, I think, is one of the best things that came out of kind of the last couple years because women started saying, one, we are not little men, and Mm. two, we can do things better in certain times of the month than we can others. And instead of just like shaming yourself for being tired every day 28, we just said, it's okay that I rest today or today is my yoga day or today Mm -hmm. is the day that I sleep 12 hours that we decide that our hormones do dictate our mood and our energy and our emotions, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. So I have found this to be really beneficial because I would find that there's like a certain week out of every month where I just felt like I was killing it. Like I could go faster. I could go harder. I could do more HIIT workouts. (laughs) And the following week, I was like, Pilates is hard, right? So – when Whoop started offering cycle syncing on the um, platform, it was super helpful because I could line it up with the month and it would say, like, you're in luteal phase today. Yeah. And, like, you should go hard or you're in follicular mm-hmm. and you should chill. And so I started noticing the benefits and it was really beneficial. Mm-hmm. And so it gives women, like, a why. Yeah. And it also gives you a manual for your body that we haven't been given before. Are there certain foods that you should be eating during certain parts of your cycle? I noticed for me, I'm carb heavy towards mm-hmm. like the week or two before yep. I'm about to start. Uh, and then after it's like I my appetite's honestly not that yeah. much. I obviously still eat, but like I definitely mm-hmm. don't crave as many like burgers or fries or stuff like that. That's yeah. Denser. So your metabolism is higher during one half of that cycle, which makes more sense because there's just like more going on in terms of. Um, organ function. And so that also means that you're probably a little bit more carb heavy. There's also a time to do more iron, more B vitamins. Um, I lay it out kind of like on a table for my patients. And so they can see like during this week, it'd be good for me to focus on these foods Mm -hmm. and these types of exercises. And during this time, we should focus on these and this type of exercise. It's not a perfect science, but it's nice to know specifically like why you're so hungry so that mm-hmm. you don't feel like a crazy person because a lot of people come to me and they're like I have this raging appetite and they're like scared of it but instead yeah. it's like it's normal and your mm-hmm. metabolism is running higher so let's accept it and let's trust our bodies yeah that's the biggest thing I think I learned especially with like cutting out caffeine is just trusting when and why you're hungry especially if you're filling your plate with things that you know you need to like sometimes it's like I'm yeah. just craving a lot more calories and yeah. I'm like Clearly, I need it for but something. I need it. Yeah. 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 And leaning into that. So yeah. that's, you know, as we come up on the end of the year, it's one of the best things to remember is that mm-hmm. your body knows better than you uh-huh. and your body knows better than any diet prescription. And so patients who come off of calorie counting are like, well, how am I going to know how much to eat? I'm like, well, listen to yourself. In a couple hours, you're going to start to lose focus mm-hmm. and you're stomach is going to feel empty and you're going to start being a little bit like more squirrel-like and it's probably me you're going to start to hear some noises Mm -hmm. and you might feel like there's room in your stomach for food and that's hunger and it builds slowly and it gets so like we start teaching these very rudimentary skills again of like this is what hunger feels like and we're going to wait for it to get to a certain level before we honor it And then we're going to, it's going to turn off and we're going to move on and we're going to wait for it to happen again. And it's going to happen whenever you need food. And that's really hard for some people who have always listened to 
MyFitnessPal or mm-hmm. I eat at 8, 10, 12, 2 and are a little bit more robotic mm-hmm. that we follow a prescription instead of our own body's needs. So, yeah, I mean, it's sad, but at the same time, I think it's kind of what our external culture has. It's like, oh, track everything in MyFitnessPal. Yes. Like, it's just... Or the more numbers, the better. Yeah. Or, you know, like... I think tracking is such a beautiful thing for awareness and education, but not for living off of. Like mm-hmm. you can use it for empowerment. You can use it for investigation, but it's not something to live off of because then that causes rigidity. Um, and it exactly. usually leads to a lack of the right things in the long run. And not enough, not only just trust, but I feel like it it, it impacts your relationship with food when everything's mm-hmm. a number and everything's a dollar sign. It's like you're looking at this thing as kind of another check the box. Like I need to do this or I need to do this instead of going back to what we talked about at the beginning, like enjoying what's in front of you mm-hmm. and like expressing gratitude for what you're about to consume and what it's going to do for you energetically and productively and everything else that mm-hmm. food is providing for you. Yeah. So especially when we look at food as like good and bad and we don't look at the function of food, it gets really hard to enjoy something. Mm-hmm. Um, I had like holiday recap with all my patients this week. And so it was interesting because one of my patients was like, well, like I shouldn't have had a brownie. But then I was just like, screw it. So I just had like four. I <laughs> <That> was <me. laughs> Aaron and I were talking earlier. Yeah. <laughs> For real. Know. I was Rice Krispie Treats. Jeez. <laughs> But I was like, you know, what's really interesting is I was like, you know, brownies are carbs. And like, instead of having pasta with dinner, you could have a brownie instead. And really, they can be used in the same way. And, you know, we don't want to demonize either one because either one has a place in your diet. And I, she was quiet for a little bit. And I think it just took a minute for her to realize, like, I've been, I demonize all these foods and I put mm-hmm. foods into certain buckets and it's not helping me. No. So how can I look at food in a functional way that still allows for me to have the brownie Mm -hmm. but in a way that's not going to be like a all or nothing Mm -hmm. situation where I have to get back on the wagon tomorrow and never eat the brownie again and you hit on something that I have even put into practice and it's just understanding like okay if I'm going to be around these type of foods that I know I want to enjoy in I'm going to only or I'll get like scallops and instead of getting French fries or mac, whatever the side is, like I'll just get asparagus. And then when I get home, mm-hmm. I'll have the treats and like not feel bad yeah. about it. So I think you it's- prioritize the carb that mean more to you. Yeah. And internalizing that and recognizing. And to me, it's not like, oh, I can't have it all. It's just like, okay, this is what I, I want. I can't have it all right now. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then tomorrow if I'm like, eh, I don't care about the Brace Krispie treat, but I really want French fries. It's like- yeah okay, that's going to be the choice that I'm making now for what I want in my body. Well, and that is like such an amazing approach because we know the more diversity in your diet, the better. Mm -hmm. And so instead of being like, I'm only allowed to have French fries or like I'm only allowed to have X, Mm -hmm. right? Saying like, I could have any of these today and then I can have any of these tomorrow. Yeah. And allowing for it to be different every day too. And you realize for me not only like the lack of energy that the not good food gives me, like the way that I feel, I just feel very, very sluggish, but you just have such a different relationship with it when it's not something that you're restricting and it's not something that you're telling yourself. I know a lot of females because I resonate with that. Like, don't eat this, don't eat this, don't eat this. And it's like, nothing is inherently bad. It's mm-hmm. just what you're choosing to consume. And obviously nothing is good. And well, and then thinking about like, if you come back to digestion, like are you really going to enjoy the cupcake if you're like so stressed about the fact that you're eating it in the first place? Exactly. No. Like you want to get to a point where you can enjoy the foods mm-hmm. you're eating. And so a lot of what we work on is like, how can I balance my plate so that I can enjoy any mm-hmm. food? Because it's not worth it if you can't eat it. Yeah. 1000%. And that's going to take us into the New Year's, but I have two, a few more questions for you on female hormonal yep. um, health. So we kind of discussed a little bit on best tips to bring hormones back into balance. I'm going to pivot it a little bit. What are some best ways to balance hormones postpartum for my postpartum ladies? I know you're pregnant, but. Yeah, good question. So I work with a lot of postpartum and everybody is really unique in mm-hmm. terms of their hormones, especially 
depending on what your hormone health looked like prior to conception. So the best thing to do is to get a Dutch test. It's a urine test that you do throughout the month and it shows us your different levels. It shows you can do everything from your hormones to your cortisol to um, your estrogen all of your metabolites and it shows you where we need to work. Uh, what I like about the Dutch test is that a lot of the recommendations that come with it are more like food as medicine approach mm -hmm. and are based on like sleep, meal hygiene, hydration, caffeine, and it's not just supplementation. Um, and so we want to start there because overarching with postpartum is the time that you're most metabolically active. And so most of our patients are under eating, under sleeping, and mm -hmm. so they're overstressing. And so yes, working on those baseline things help and staying very hydrated. Um, using lots of minerals during that time can help support adrenals. But then from there, we wanna do bio-individual testing. What are the best foods to support and balance cortisol levels in women? I would say it's more about um, stress management okay. for cortisol. So when I think of cortisol, I see I think sleep, stress, and caffeine. Okay, so yeah. are the big ones. Okay, so seven and a half hours is usually the bare minimum optimal for women. That's what I was just to about thrive to ask. on, yeah. and usually less than three high intensity classes per week. So. I suggest that people usually do. If you do a high day, like a high intensity day that you follow it with a low day, that can still be hard, but it needs to not be anaerobic, breathless workouts. What's the correlation uh, between blood sugar and women's hormone health? So I and think how to balance. Yeah. So I was just talking with the founder of Resist Nutrition, which shout out, she made a um, protein bar that tastes delicious that's mm. focused on women's hormone health specifically for PCOS and she okay. um, has a research study behind her bar and it's fascinating because we forget that insulin is a hormone so when insulin is high it affects our testosterone which then affects us of having that telltale sign of having excessive facial hair and the signs that we see that are usually common keynotes for PCOS and then it also causes um, some binded hormone relationships that lead to excess estrogen, which lead to having like achy tissue and PMS symptoms. So insulin is the start of all this. So when yeah. we have high insulin, which is caused by chronic high blood sugar, it leads to all of these hormonal imbalances. So when we take a step back and look at root cause and say, how can we lower insulin by balancing our blood sugar with working with Whitney, then we can balance <laughs> our plates and we can look at balanced blood sugar that then leads to like all of these benefits for hormone health too. Okay. Two more questions. And yep. then I promise I'll wrap this up. I'm very intrigued here. What are ways you kind of just mentioned food combining, but what are ways that you can things to add into your diet to help balance the blood sugar. You post so much good content about yeah. this. A lot of the things I was doing, I thought were good and it was not working. Yeah. So my big one is no lonely carbs. So never okay. eat a carb by itself. Um, and don't be by yourself when you're eating carbs because that probably means that you're also lonely. <laughs> so <laughs> like don't eat Ben and Jerry's by yourself and don't eat Ben and Jerry's by itself. Got it. So Ooh, I like that one. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> Avoiding lonely carbs um, is really important. So we work on a balanced approach of making sure that we have a vegetable, protein, fat, and a carb at every meal. And then with snacks, trying to focus on fat and fiber combinations. So when I think of fiber, I think of things like veggies. Mm -hmm. So cucumber, celery, carrots, pairing those with heart-healthy dips like hummus and Ooh. nut butter and guacamole and tzatziki. Um, because those things are the most satiating and they also are like no glycemic technically. They don't raise blood sugar. And then all my patients start wearing a continuous glucose monitor because it's fascinating. And then you get to see what does spike my blood sugar. Whitney told me these gummy bears were going to, but I'm going to eat them anyway. And boom, there's my high blood sugar. So, Wow, she's got a tracker on her patients, guys. Watch <laughs> out. She's going to show up at your house. <laughs> now, the only one that's hungry now is me. Um, okay, the last question uh, that one of you all asked was what not to do if you are a female. I'm assuming what this person meant is what not 
to do maybe that society is telling us to do. Yeah. That maybe it's things that males, um, but kind of take that question where yeah. you want to. I think, so when I think of what not to do, I think anything restriction-based where you're like, oh, I'm just going to white knuckle it through that for a couple of days. So like juice cleanses, Octavia, anything like very low calorie, very restrictive, um, try to avoid because we know that our bodies are really sensitive to stress. Mm-hmm. And then also some of the good stressors like ice baths and I'm um, doing too much mm-hmm. of those good things. Just thinking about like, what is my margin for stress today? And should I do something that's more self-serving, that's more of a self-care tool, like maybe like massage or meditation or yoga versus doing something like hopping in a cold bath or a cold shower? Like, do I have enough margin for that stress today? Maybe depending on where I'm at in my cycle right then too. With all the knowledge that we get, I think the biggest challenge that people face is just they do nothing because there's too much or they do everything and then they wonder why there's something wrong. So Mm -hmm. I think it's finding that fine balance between consumption of knowledge and act and action and Mm -hmm. like what you're actually executing on. And obviously we're giving you all a lot and you all submitted great questions, but at the end of the day, it's like trusting what you know to be true Mm -hmm. and adding things in where you feel necessary, but yeah, not, we don't need a cold plunge every day. Or even for me, like you don't need to run every single day or you don't need to do it's cycling through and allowing yourself time to rest. Mm Mm-hmm. Which brings us to the final, and this is probably my, I'm like most excited about this. Obviously I was excited about everything, but New Year's is a time where people like you can just dive in because the, we both heard on the news earlier that I'm going to work out every single day or I'm no longer eating carbs or I'm no longer eating yeah. this. And it's just, it's unrealistic. And I think it puts a lot of people in a negative headspace. And I think mm-hmm. it takes time to get out of that. And then people are quick to fail within the first 15 to 30 days. What's your biggest piece of advice and guidance for people who are wanting to start the near the year off and end the year on a healthier note? So when you're thinking about, if you're New Year's resolution oriented or New Year's intention oriented, I think in the past couple of years, I just chose like a word yeah, that's what to I kind of focus on. But if that's your thing, consider one, if you even like it, mm-hmm. I think it's a big one. Yeah. Um. So consider if it's sustainable, if it's something that you want to maintain for the next six months to a year, and if it makes you a better person. And I think this goes back to that like internal aesthetic versus external aesthetic. Like, yeah. is it going to do more than just make me like super sexy? Is it going to actually benefit my mm-hmm. body? And so like last year, I focused on like cutting down on caffeine. Like yeah. it was like, you actually cannot have this much caffeine a day. Yeah. But that also came with my favorite of like addition. Like what can you add mm-hmm. to your diet in place of this? And so it was like trying new teas, trying new adaptogen drinks, like trying new things. And so that led to more diversity in my diet. And it Mm -hmm. felt sustainable because I had added something that I enjoyed Enjoyed. and I hadn't completely restricted something I enjoyed either. And so anything that you're going to take out, like I get nervous about people doing cleanses or fast or anything that cuts out a food group if there's no real reason, Mm -hmm. because who likes that? Like a year from now, are you going to say like, I'm so happy I decided to give up bread last year? Did it make you a better person? Yeah. If it's not, then maybe that wasn't such a good intention. If someone has no idea where to start, but they know that they want to start with their diet, mm-hmm. what would you tell them? I think the intention of adding something mm-hmm. is really important. So I challenge a lot of my clients to like add a new vegetable every week. What I love about that is that you can like sauce it and spice it in a way that you love. Like, if you love buffalo sauce, great. Let's do buffalo Brussels or buffalo cauliflower, right? Mm. Like, let's just try something new. Um, but we can add something in that's benefiting them, but it doesn't have to be outside of their taste bud comfort zones because we have those lovely condiment options to utilize. Mm-hmm. And so I think the addition is so helpful, especially since we know it helps with gut diversity, um, helps the digestion overall. And then, like, the big one for me that I feel like is super simple 
or at least um, simple if you choose it, <laughs> is cooking at home mm-hmm. more, right? Or doing more home-cooked meals. That's one of my favorites. Even I was thinking when you said add, if you're going out somewhere and say like you're getting a bowl or mm-hmm. you're getting a salad or- You could just change what you normally get. Or a smoothie, it's like just add carrots. Yeah. Add spinach into your fruit smoothie. Yeah. Add, that's what I- started doing or like I usually get chicken and I'm going to try salmon today mm-hmm. or I normally get you know avocado and today I'm going to grab olives like you can just change the diversity in your diet just by making one little swap even if you're someone that is starting like my father I'll call him out like a burger let's add some spinach on there yeah or like let's add some greens mm-hmm. to your burger so at least especially like perfect scenario because like it's probably not going to change the taste exactly in that situation or the palate or anything if you add that tiny amount in mm-hmm. but you're giving a serving of vegetables without like too much effort so doing things that are not a lot of effort and that are addition based yeah are usually the best ways to go this was not on the list but i'm gonna ask it anyways <laughs> What are five Whitney approved snacks or meal suggestions? I'm trying to think of like how to word there. So five Whitney approved things that someone could add, add to in, your diet this year. Add to your diet this year. Okay. I was gonna say snacks, but I'm like, eh, I want it to be anything. Mm, okay, so I have a like um list of witness favorites that I give patients um a lot of them are sauces because I feel like I really love a good sauce because it makes a meal and you can take a really bland chicken and if you're new to cooking you're like it's a little dry and you put a wonderful buffalo sauce on it no one knows yeah so um the new primal mustard barbecue sauce I love because it's like a sauce a marinade you can use it as a dip and I feel like there's something nostalgic about being a kid and like having like some mm-hmm. kind of like honey mustard dip with your chicken. Or um, Yai's Thai Pad Thai sauce. Okay. Because a lot of people love the flavor of Pad Thai, mm-hmm. but doing it with spaghetti squash or zoodles or palmini mm-hmm. noodles is a really nice way to get extra serving of sneaky veggies in with like an awesome Pad Thai sauce that's not full of corn syrup like most of them are so yeah it's time for that um for protein bars btr bars are my favorite they are oh i hate the taste really you have to try the zen bar i don't have any because okay i tried one and it tasted like chalk i think it depends on people have a very polarizing opinion about the flavors but the zen bar is like soft and perfect okay Yes. It was like a snicker chocolate chip thing. And I was like, I cannot eat this. Or give yeah. another bar example that you like. So I tried it because you posted it, but it was no go for me. <laughs> I was like, I wish I liked this, but I don't. So um, BTR bar is my go-to. Okay. If not, I really tend to lean people towards savory because Ooh. it goes better. And so I have people use meat sticks. Okay. Um, I am pretty picky about my meat sticks because I don't like them to be hard yeah a lot of my patients like the chomps jalapeno ones that they have at trader joe's okay that would be awesome option to try we call it purse jerky so you can do hashtag purse jerky and you'll see there's a bunch of photos wow she's gonna be trending on keeping their purse jerkies (laughs) in route (laughs) and then i think if you're looking for like fun mocktail cocktail options for this year things like poppy or olipop that Mm. have less sugar that have a little bit more apple cider vinegar things that you're not normally getting in your diet is a fun swap for a little less sugar a little less calories no alcohol that you can add in Um, a lot of my patients find that like just having something in their hand makes them feel a lot more confident or something in their wine glass and they use that instead i love all of those i'm gonna I, i love olipop what's one new year's resolution that you've made for yourself just over your time that you feel made the biggest impact on your long-term health? So five years ago, we did um, all of our meal prep containers. We switched to all glass from plastic. So we weren't heating foods in plastic anymore, which Mm -hmm. was a huge thing just for like endocrine disruptors and hormonal health. And then one year 
I did switching to all organic grass-fed meats at home. And so I switched to a subscription and that cut down on how often I was just running to the store and grabbing random protein, which is the most expensive part of your budget. So I budgeted for it and that also helped with savings. Um, And then one year we did, we took out major endocrine disruptors in the house, so big fragrances. And so Mm -hmm. like Glade, air sprays, Febreze, scented bags, all the things that kind of get in the way. Um, And that was another one that made a big difference. And so those three, we always look at something like, what can we do this year that's a micro change that makes us better in the Mm -hmm. long run that's going to continue to be something that we're stacking habits on? We didn't stop after, you know, one year. It just continued at that point. What's your biggest piece of advice for someone that has this intention and if or when they fall off on not kind of beating themselves up on falling off the wagon, but just looking at it as overall consistency, whether you fall like the 80, 20. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's good starting off the new year of like, Hey, if this is the crossroads that you come into, like you're not, your whole life isn't over. You can still get back on that wagon. Yeah. i um, I know that it's never too late to change your health. Yeah. I have patients who come to me, in their 60s who are like, I want to improve my diabetes and get off medication. And we do it, right? Like it's never too late Mm -hmm. to change your health. And so every day that you wake up is a new chance to set an intention to change your life for the better. And we know life is short. So like why not choose to do something a little hard, a little outside your comfort zone that has the ability to make you better, even just by 1% as a person overall? Like why not choose Mm -hmm that mission and so knowing that you may totally fail but we know that every opportunity to fail is an opportunity to learn exactly so why not right like if i i always love like the burpee example like i feel like people love burpees but what's so because it's like the ultimate like it's like oh it's like they're hard and so if you like doing hard things like like sure i'll do burpees But a burpee is essentially like throwing yourself on the ground and getting (laughs) up as quickly as possible, which is how fast can you recover when you knock yourself down, Mm -hmm. right? And so when you do it repeatedly, you learn how to get up faster and faster and more effectively each time. Same thing with failure. Like we just learn how to effectively Mm -hmm. pivot and recover every time, but we learn how to do it better every time too. I love that. If you don't mind sharing, do you have an intention for the new year? And why did you choose that? I actually have not taken enough time to review intentions for this year yet. Okay. December, and most health practitioners will understand this, December is like nuts for me because I have patients who are freaking out about Mm. like, here is another year that's going by that I have not chosen myself and I'm ready to choose myself and I don't want to do it on January 1st, so I'm going to do it the week before. And that's the week that we're in. Wow. What's the biggest block to people that come to you with that? Uh, long-term habits and their environments. Ooh. So I hate, I hate like pulling and breaking down um, like marriage dynamics. But a lot of times people's spouse is the thing that holds them back. And yes, it is your decision to make a change. Yeah. But it is so hard if your household is not behind you and supportive. 1,000%. Environment is everything. Yeah. So I actually had a patient who came to me a couple months ago and had gone through a divorce. And it was a really good thing for her health in the long run because she finally was able to choose herself in the way that she wanted. But a lot of times working with patients, it's working with the whole family. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of those blocks are saying like, my family won't like this, or I'm going to do this without them, or I'm not going to have them help me, or I don't want them to have to hold me accountable in my weakness. And Mm -hmm. I think accepting that like, it's okay to fail. It's okay to have a weakness and it's okay to ask your partner to like, love you in a way that might be like, can I help you get up at 7am to go make your Pilates class that makes you happy? Or can I help you remember to go to bed by 10? Because when you get eight hours of sleep, that makes you a better person. (laughs) 
Um, or can I serve you a glass of wine at dinner and not freaking sangria or white wine every night because we don't need that much, yeah. whatever it is. But like, can we have those honest conversations so we can have support systems? So, cause I can't be their only support system. Right? Yeah. You have to have a team, a tribe, someone alongside you. And the consistency, uh, that they need comes from them and it's hard to be consistent if you have all those external things that are yeah not having you especially in the days that you don't want to do it yeah then you have blockers or people not encouraging a long way I mean it makes it 10 times harder especially when you're just starting out yeah yeah so your you know environment can really dictate your success and so mm -hmm. look at your environment to say like is my environment set up to make me successful mm -hmm. um, is a big step to prevent those barriers in the first place I love that. Anything else that you have for the audience? I feel like we got through all of these questions. Um, but is there anything else that you want to leave the audience with in terms of New Year's resolutions and starting I, the New Year off, off on the right note? No, I mean, I think with New Year's resolutions, the one thing to remember is just to do something that is sustainable, that you enjoy, mm -hmm. that isn't a punishment. You know, like what can you really do to benefit you this year yeah. that doesn't come out of this like shame and guilt cycle that may have come from whatever you did over Christmas break. Yeah. We have 365 days in a year and we get so worked up about the two days at Thanksgiving and the five days at Christmas and the decisions we made, mm -hmm. which is less than a week of the entire year. Like those week, those days within that cumulative week really don't have an overall impact on your health if you chose yourself and your health all year exactly so like you have to let that go yes it was very concentrated but you know it's over and then you have the rest of the year to just enjoy and to do life so consider like what does that 80 percent look like most of the year so that you can enjoy those seven days and not be like so so worked up about it birthdays all the it makes it so much better and it makes the work worth it when you have those moments where you're just like, this is why I stayed consistent so I can be in this moment and enjoy everything that's in front of me and not feel bad about the other six days that I wasn't on target. Yeah. And if you don't learn that lesson, <laughs> then like the diet industry is ready for you. Yeah. Like they are poised and ready for January 1. I have seen. Um, Here's this pill to lose weight. Yeah, like every every commercial this week is yeah. based on health and is preying on your insecurities. And so if you are not strong and confident in your decisions right now, like God forbid you listen to any social media platform or turn on the radio because they are looking for you and to bait mm -hmm. you. And so it's time to say like, this is not what I need to do this year. I might have chose, you know, Fitter Together last year or Noom last year or Shakeology last year or whatever I chose, but I don't have to choose something drastic this year. I can choose yeah. myself. 1,000%. I love it. The last question that I ask everyone, Whitney, what are you grateful for today? Ooh, I'm grateful that I prepped dinner because I'm going to go home and eat. Yeah. Before it's way too late. I know. She's making me hungry with all this talk. I wasn't hungry. And now I'm like, geez, this tzatziki sauce. I'm starving. Uh, I'm going to say I am grateful for my health. I feel like this time of year, people are getting sick. We're go yeah. People are going back and forth, travel, all the things. So I'm grateful to be happy and healthy uh, at the new year and starting off the new year strong. So thank you so Bye. much. You're welcome. Part two. This